and welcome to another episode of We Are Not Wizards. My name's Richard. I will be your host for this evening or this morning or this afternoon or whenever you happen to be listening as after all it is your podcast. Now joining me today, well it's a it's what you would call a quick start on the Kickstart episode, and a quick start on the Kickstart episode is when we get somebody who's in the middle of the Kickstarter campaign to have a little chat about themselves before usually the campaign's about to finish. So joining me uh, today is I've got Brett Sobol from Navu Games. And uh, Navu Games has got a Kickstarter at the moment. It's got a Kickstarter that's doing reasonably well, I would say. So um, hello, Brett. Thank you for coming on. Hey. Hey, Richard. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk about the Reckoners. Yeah. Let's get into that. But before we get into that, we better know, better let people know out there that the reason that we do this is because we pretty much believe that there's not enough podcasts out there about board games. Um, there's only us, there's the guys at Unlucky Frog, and there's a couple other Scottish people. There's the uh, large and unnecessary first player token as well. But apart from that, no other podcasts out there about board games searched far and wide not being able to find any and the other reason that we do this is because brett sent us an email and said he'd like to have a chat and i am not about to turn down somebody who is releasing the reckoners game out there am i because otherwise i'd get in a lot of trouble if i'd let down a lot of people and there'd be a lot of people that angry and says you're going to speak to brett about the reckoners and you turned it out yeah i did so that would be the end of the podcast so we had to say we had to get you on basically brett we had no choice so well i'm i'm delighted to hear that all of those people have been uh threatening you with the very existence of your show enough to make me come on here <laughs> So, uh, thank you all, listeners. Continue to send your threatening emails to Richard, and uh, I will appear on here more often. That's not what I was aiming for, but I guess it'll kind of do. Um, <laughs> the, what we always like to do is we like to find a little bit of um, history about our guests. So, we want to kind of guess, kind of dive into the kind of the, the prologue of the past before we stare at the um, the current comic series of the present, before shooting off into the next issue of the future. So do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got into the hobby yourself, Brett, to begin with? Sure. Uh, I, I, I guess the origins of me playing board games go f- way back to, like, chess and Stratego as a kid. Um and I would just say it didn't, you know, progress much further than that for a long time, you know, just kind of playing cards with the family and the traditional games that you'd play growing up, or at least I played growing up, which would be, um, you know, Monopoly Connect 4, sorry, those kind of classic games. But it wasn't long um, until I met Seth, who is my partner in Nabu Games and co-designer on all of our different games so far Mm -hmm. and the two the two of us um started playing more games together and that's really a result of seth and his family and um sort of having a 
we'll just call a, a, a big family that played games together all the time. Um, so I think it was at Seth's house that I probably played my first game of Ticket to Ride um, and, you know, subsequently other games like um, Settlers of Catan or Catan. Um, and then uh, I don't I don't even get into the debates there, but we'll, we'll skip that. Then um, uh, Carcassonne and uh, a few other of the more, um, you know, kind of quintessential gateway games and through uh through university i played other games like puerto rico and continued to expand into the hobby Uh but it wasn't until uh, a few years after after school so uh about three almost four years ago now that seth and i really got serious about pursuing this more as a you know as a business um what did you what did you um, just a hobby what did you major in when you were I major I I, uh, I actually majored in business oh. um, and my school specifically focused on entrepreneurship um, so I had a lot of the you know educational background to start a business and analyze an industry and that kind of thing so it was part of the reason I think that Seth approached me after you know so many years of being apart at university that that we decided to get into this. And, uh, you know, to kind of wrap up the, the, the genesis of this, it was, you know, he reached out to me with this uh, idea for a game. And, you know, we had sort of played around with the idea of making up our own games as kids, but it was never a serious endeavor. And it wasn't until he brought up the idea of potentially running a Kickstarter to make a game of our own design that things got interesting. And uh, three years ago, we created Stockpile, which is our first game. Mm. I don't know if you've heard of it or played it, um, Richard, but it was um, that was our first. And uh, we've designed a few others since then. But, you know, we uh, were excited to be working on our first game based on an IP this year, which is called The Reckoners. And uh, I guess that's, that's sort of a... A, a short cap to it, but I'll I'll just open it up for for questions for you. If there's anything more you want elaboration on, because I feel like I could go on forever just talking I just, about boring. I just I just like listening to people, kind of going, kind of, because when you study business, do they sit down and say, do they have kind of like career planning? Do they sit you down and say, okay, what is it you'd like to do? Did you have an idea at the time? Were you just thinking about well? I want to use my degree or my qualification to go out and get myself a business up and running. So by that time, were you fairly involved in kind of like the the board game scene that it seemed like a natural progression to try and put something together? Um, good question. So I would uh, jokingly say that they sat us down and said, these are the industries that make money and these are those that don't. So I said... Where is that industry that doesn't make money? I'm gonna go there, and uh, and no, that's not how. Put your hand and say, uh, "I like being perpetually poor." Please, <laughs> exactly. No, uh, that's that's not how it worked. But I, um, I actually had no intention of going into board games whatsoever. It was something that I enjoyed, and I never thought of it as more than really a hobby. Mm. Now I did you know, at the time play more video games and was pursuing a lot of, you know, academic type of work there. And there was a lot going on, at least at the time that I was at university with the development of the iPhone and the, you know, the birth of mobile and social casual games. Yeah. So 
Um, it was a very interesting case study to, to just keep apprised on, at least for me. So I suppose it doesn't come as too much of a shock that I moved into the analog space, uh, just kind of having a general understanding of game design, um, you know, just general general game industry knowledge and, and how things worked. But I had no formal work experience there. Um, in fact, my day job, which I still maintain, has nothing to do with, uh, with games. All right. Yet, um, I do this on the side, part-time, and Seth and I plan to continue to do it that way, but we... Uh, are are we you have, currently you know, sure? Enjoyed are ourselves. you sure about that? Considering where the reckoners is currently sitting. <laughs> no, I'm 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 very positive about that. I mean, the the nice thing is, you know, I look at the reckoners and say, wow, you know, the community values the efforts that we put mm. in, and and we're very satisfied with the feedback we get from our designs and our our fans, and we continue to want to curate that and and build on that, but. Um, right now, at least the, the outlook for jumping full time, uh, into this would, is, is just not exactly what we want to do with our lives, but we enjoy it a lot and want to continue doing it part time. You know, we attend one, two, maybe three conventions or so a year that in an official capacity yeah. and, um, design one, maybe two games a year. And if we can just create one or two great games a year, then that to us is super satisfying. So cool, cool. So you you go down the first line of stockpile, which seems to be business related. So was the idea? Was yeah. the, you know, it's kind of like I went to business school, I got my business shoes on, I got my business pad, I decided to design a business game. So was that the kind of the way, the way it kind of went? Did you kind of did you stay within territory you were kind of familiar with and try and kind of gamify it? Even though I'm aware that gamifying something is actually a thing that you do in an industry and business, um, but did you take kind of like ideas and practices and the, you know practical theories that you'd learned and said actually we can maybe turn this into some kind of game ourselves? Yeah, no, it's 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 true. Uh, I think people draw inspiration from what's around them and what's recent, what they've you know what they've read or or seen recently, yeah. and, and just kind of put it all together. And for me just recently coming out of business school with a background in finance as well and you know having worked in some some sort of like high finance and financial services type of roles i had i had some things on my mind and when seth and i were de developing these mechanics of, of, of stockpile uh we needed we had sort of a question right that our game designs usually begin with a question of um and, and the question is often centered around an emotion too or an experience and in stockpile the case was what do we want like what would it be like to bid on piles of things that you don't know everything about but you know some some things about right like just what would that be yeah. like? what would it feel like um and um what we found is that, you know, a ton of people enjoyed that type of experience just as an abstract concept. Like, I know something you don't, I'm going to get it. Theoretically, I'll get it at a better price because of my knowledge. But then we started adding other elements into it. Like, oh, there's there's like these cards that can poison a pile type of a thing. And then, you know, we had this gr 
fun little mechanism set up, but we didn't know how to theme it or what it made sense for. And for some, you know, odd reason, perhaps due to my educational background, my mind went to buying into portfolios of stocks or indexes of stocks. Investors oftentimes don't have full information as to what's in there, yet they trust that, um, you know, the market as a whole overall goes up and they'll invest into it, especially when given, we'll call it like fair market value for, for the prices that they're investing. Yeah. So that sort of became the seedling of Stockpile, the stock market game of insider trading, for those that don't know what we're talking about hmm. and want to look it up. So was it quite easy to develop from there once you had the core idea? I mean, was it quite easy? The moment... I mean, was it, did you develop it with Seth as well then? Did you actually... Was this the first game I did develop with him? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, once we had that seedling, um, that was it. it. It instantly clicked. It was, yep, uh, this makes total sense. Then let's give everybody insider information about these, you know, different stocks. And then we'll put shares in here, face up and face down. We'll put trading fees in here. We'll give some people action cards and, oh, we'll make them fun, you know, famous investors mm -hmm. um, with, with special player powers just to spice it up. And we can do some advanced things with the board. And it all this kind of started the snowball with cool ideas. Um, and then uh, that was our first game. Did you, um, did you include them? Um... Did you include really nice business cards that people could have? <laughs> <laughs> a good, a, a good idea. Uh, but remember, my background was finance, not marketing. So, uh, no. <laughs> You're telling me you didn't. You've not seen that American Psycho scene when he does the business card thing. <laughs> no, I have not. Uh, you're missing a trip now. You're, you're, no, you have to have a really, really nice. You've probably got really nice business cards now for the company, anyway. So, yeah, they're they're okay. They're nothing luxurious, <laughs> but they they do the job. Remember what I said in the beginning about the 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 industries you want to go into and the ones you don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I suppose you need to tone down your business card based on the industries that you're you're going to be going into. But um, yeah, that's right. Stockpile did well. Well, I mean, if you know you funded, um, you delivered. You know, everybody kind of got their copy, and it was you know you got shy of um almost seven hundred backers for the first project, and and you know you raised a, I mean, hitting kind of sub thirty thousand dollars for your first Kickstarter campaigns. Not a is no mean feat because nowadays I see a lot of people almost like cutting down their um their targets for their first campaign kind of based on the competition that was kind of out there. Um, then you decided to expand on Stockpile after that, yeah? So, I mean, why why, why continue on the theme as opposed to um, doing a new IP completely altogether? Uh, a combination of two things. The, the first is expanding on an existing game is extremely easier <laughs> than okay. designing a whole new game. Yeah. Uh, in addition, we had received so much positive praise and feedback for Stockpile, and we knew that the game really just didn't have its full legs under it yet. And to be honest, I don't even think it still does. It's one of those games that, though it, you know, on BGG will sit inside the top 300 and has been recognized on various top 10 lists 
etc. It's something that's still, in my opinion, compared to some other games in the industry that it came out with, flies under the radar. And uh, to that end, we designed an expansion both as a you know, a ploy to get the the marketing buzz out there and give opportunity for people to buy it, um, as well as to insert, you know, some some other cool design elements into the game that we had been thinking about, such as the, the forecast dice and commodities and taxes and some other things. Yeah. Um, how, however, uh, there was also a practical aspect too, beyond just, you know, like let's promote our own game and, and do something different with it. The practical side of it was, you know, based on our first... Um, Kickstarter, we only printed, you know, I think we printed 2,000 copies with our first print run, and it wasn't long before we, I think we sold out of that inside of a few months, like, um, we debuted Stockpile at Origins, I remember, oh, right. which was, okay. I think, in June, yeah. in, in June of that year, which, and keep in mind, this is several years ago, too, so, so Kickstarter has changed, and the industry has grown even more so, but, um, you know, we printed 2,000 units, we debuted it at Origins, we sold out at Origins, and then uh, we continued to get a ton of buzz over the summer with uh, Dice Tower reviews, etc., and sold a lot online into um, people like Miniature Market, etc., and then a few months later, we sold out at Gen Con, like several hundred copies worth, and we were basically out of inventory. So it came to a point where it was like, well, there's a lot of demand for this game and we should supply that demand. So let's, let's do another print run. And so we combined it with the expansion. Yeah. I mean, if you hadn't done the expansion for continuing corruption, would there have been, would you have still been able to do a reprint or was the, was the Kickstarter kind of essential to help you do the reprints for the original game? We probably would have been able to do a reprint, but because of the Kickstarter, we were able to do like we were able to accelerate the amount of you know games that we reprinted. So I think our second reprint was closer to like seventy five hundred copies. Yeah. For stockpile okay. versus um, you know two thousand or whatever that we did the first time, and that helped us tremendously because you know we were able to then work with distribution and develop relationships with some of the bigger suppliers in the world um on the hobby board game side and uh land those accounts you know show them that we had demand for our product and though our line was small at the time we you know were committed to growing it and had this great title that they could get access to you know for the foreseeable future so get in your orders now blah 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 and the funny thing is, like, even though we did that, we sold out of that run and the expansion run within like three months. <laughs> so <laughs> it just like flew out of out of the warehouse, um, and that was a, a wonderful thing. You know, it was super rewarding and validating. And um, you know, part of that was due to almost two thousand backers, I think, for the expansions Kickstarter. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, I mean, this one. Um... I mean, it, you went well above $80,000 for that one. So the jump from one project to another was almost you tripled, you kind of tripled what you kind of brought in. But as you say, do you kind of look back and say, hmm, it'd be nice if we'd printed more copies or it was like, well, it put us in a good place. Because as you said, you had the relationship with the distribution channels. So was that important? Was it kind of important to forge those distribution channels so you had a tail on the game 
kind of going forward that you had a way of potentially being able to put more more games out there, but at the same time maybe kind of I guess justify doing another print run off your own back because people would be willing to kind of buy the game from you. Yeah, I mean the so landing the distribution accounts uh, was certainly helpful. It's it's one of those things where you know that you're you're kind of establishing to some extent minimum volumes. Yeah. However, however, you know there is there are, there are plenty of companies today, um, and I think it's becoming increasingly popular for companies today to eschew the traditional you know, distribution model of sale of selling it and just go direct to consumers and, and use Kickstarter as a vehicle to do that, um, or their own website or, or, or so forth. And that is an option. So I don't want to, you know, I wouldn't advise other publishers if there are those listening to this or other designers would be publishers, um, to just focus on distribution. I think, I, I think that would be too narrow minded. There's there's a solution that fits for everyone's business and and what their goals are. For us, because we do this part time, you know, I didn't want to um, try to spend a lot of effort building a direct sales platform and marketing that yeah. and getting people to come to my website to buy my game. Um, I would rather leverage existing relationships, piggyback off of the you know brick and mortar network that exists today, mm. and and support the the local game stores in a way with um, with all of our different products. And um, I think that has helped us to grow quickly. I you know I don't know if looking back if I would have done things differently if it would have you know led to the same place or not. But I would say. Um, it has been helpful for us. I think it was the right move, um, and uh, it's it was surprisingly a lot easier than I thought um, it would be based on a lot of the research I had done. But you know, when you I think present yourself professionally, um, have a good product, and you know how know how this industry works, then people want to work with you. So all factors that contributed to our success, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. And then you stepped into. Um into party games so you moved from business honey i've had a really tough week at work that's okay we're going to go to the johnson's at the weekend what are we going to do we're going to play crosstalk so you went (laughs) so you went from your nine to five without dolly parton to doing a kind of a party game so i mean what what what, you know where did that come from was that a game was that already an idea that kind of existed that was the natural step or was that something you went hey Here's another idea, and you just kind of decided to put it together. It was a ladder. It was a spur of the moment uh, inspiration that came from, you know, I think we were, I was playing some other party game, and I don't remember what it was. Um, I was extremely bored, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I thought this is this is not how I want to be playing a party game. Um, you know, I found myself really just not not thinking about what the other team was doing mm. on their turns, not engaged. And I thought this is, this is just really dumb. Like what if, what if when the other team was acting, like they were giving me clues so that I should pay attention to them. Yeah. And, um, then we kind of had this interesting epiphany of like, wait, what if the other clue, like the other team is giving a clue to their team, but I'm the one that's acting on it first and it is relevant to me. And so it kind of became this, Again, question, right? Like, what if that was happening? Like, how would that change the the 
um, gameplay of both the clue givers and all the other players involved, and how would you build a set of rules around that? And from there, Crosstalk was born. But it's a bit. It seems to be like a bit of the departure from what you've done uh, before. An extreme, ex- extreme departure. Um, I would say that we, uh, as Nabu Games, and I, you know, I don't want to speak for Seth, but I would say that you know our approach to just designing games and in the industries is finding things that you know we enjoy playing and then adding our own spin onto them or um you know kind of just approaching the industry from a wide lens and saying like we're we're just going to make good games it doesn't have to be the same game as the last one even the same type of game whatever it is that we're doing we're going to we're going to do it thoughtfully mm-hmm. and we're going to, you know, be inspired by something and you know that what you're playing is going to be, you know, I guess tastefully done in, in, in some way. And, and that to us is really what makes um, a game designer good is, is versatility um, an ability to kind of come into a, an interesting problem or question and design a solution around it that, that people want to play with. And uh, that, that is something that I guess we've been continuing trying to do is sort of push our own boundaries, um, become more versatile, play different types of games and design and redesign types of, you know, different games. And I'm sure we'll, you know, continue to dabble in different stuff from, from here on out, but we've, uh, we've at least explored a party genre, uh, a stock market type of economic game. And, you know, now we're at the Reckoners, which is entirely different from the other two. Is it? I mean, Crosstalk did thirty thousand dollars. I've never seen a party game do massively, massively well on Kickstarter. Do you think that's maybe the type of people that are looking at it? Or well, sure. I'm gonna guess you're leaving out the exception of exploding kittens mm, and so forth. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, so there. I mean, there are there are games that have done that, right? But but you're right. the The, the norm is that party ga- party games on Kickstarter, generally speaking, uh, don't do well. Period. The reason is, the, I think the the type of audience on Kickstarter is not necessarily looking for party game type experiences. No. Um, it, it also comes across in some ways, I think is a little gimmicky on Kickstarter, um, you know, more so than, um, much more so than I think some of the other typical games you see on there. Um, it's something that's meant for convention type play, right. And, uh, in group based play and and to, to, to get that, it's hard to sell that in an environment that is just purely digital and you can't touch it. You can't feel it. You can't, you know kind of interact with it that's why selling these type of party games at conventions is so successful and um you know i think for us um if i were to connect the dots between the two like while the genres are very different one of the things that i think you'll see between both the two game the like our first two games crosstalk and stockpile are levels of information dynamics that we were playing with i would say if there is a consistency between them it's that right like we we really toyed with the idea of of information as a variable um and i think you can you can sort of see the way in which we did it similarly between them with mixing private and public knowledge to to different variations there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then you're you're not taking another departure 
again completely with the Reckoners, which some could have seen as a as a bit of a risk. And I mean, I know it's a it's a it's a known IP, but I mean, how do you? I mean, how with your previous track record, how do you rock up and say, right, we're going to produce a game based around the Reckoners? What do you think, guys? Here's our party game, and here's our business game. Are you saying? Are you saying yes yet? <laughs> Correct. Uh, I think. I think we had challenges there, right? Um, in fact, I, there was a comment that sort of stuck with me, which is um, for for whatever some some fans' comment that stuck with me, and it was something along the lines of like, you know, oh, they designed stockpile was a hit, crosstalk. You know, for me, wasn't wasn't as fun, bit of a flop. Now they're designing the Reckoners, and I think they're just trying to find their style um, or find their fit. And you know, only only to find, my guess is that it was their very first game, and they'll have to design something back, you know, akin to that to be successful again. And to me, you know, I, while I understand where he's coming from with that comment, um, the uh, he or she, I guess, is coming from with that comment. My my thought is you know, look, we design based on inspiration. And if it's a party game that comes from that inspiration, then great. Um, if it is a cooperative game based on a book series that we really enjoyed and an author that we really adore, then that's awesome. Like, um, for us, it's what I'm going to spend my time on as a designer and as a developer. And I know ultimately that while a few people may play this game more than, you know, five, ten times, I'm the one that's going to play it a thousand times, you know, and I'm going to have to explain it thousands more. And if I'm going to do that and put the sheer amount of hours and, and volume of work into this that I'm going to, it should be on something that I want to design and I want to create and that I like. And as selfish as that sounds, it's in many ways the reality of this whole creation process and being a, a publisher and designer, right? Like there's lots of good things that come with being a publisher. Yeah. Uh, there's also lots of, you know, frustrating things, but this is, in my mind, one of the good ones is, is a control over what we want to, to make. Yeah, and I think there has to be some passion behind it because I think you can tell games where they have landed the IP and maybe the understanding of what that IP means to other people hasn't quite hit well enough that they've been able to put that together effectively in a game. It's an insightful point. I I think you're right. You know, there's something to be said for, oh, I watched, you know, I watched, uh, I don't know, The Terminator once or Jurassic Park a couple of times. Like, super cool. Lots of gamers like it. Market research says it would be a good one. Yeah. You know, like, let's make a game. Um, but it's another to be like, this book series is incredible. It has to be a game. I'm going to make it a game, not just for myself and because I like it, but because... It deserves to be one. Fans would love it. Like let's let's make a game that's gonna bring it to life for everyone and kind of almost bring your best friends, you know, or best like favorite characters from this book series to life, like with with tenderness and care, right, and attention. Yeah. And I think you're right. Like that. That's a, I think that's a great point. Yeah, the best the the best will in the world. I could never ever create this game because I have not read the books i'm aware of them but i haven't read the books so i would be the type of guy who would <clears throat> you know know that i should do something with for instance with steelheart and make sure it's important but i'd probably make an actual mess of the nuance 
and how to represent the different characters and represent them so they're recognisable to the people who are big fans of the IP. And I think that's kind of really important. I mean, it's <clears throat> it's fairly obvious you guys have attached attacked this project with a lot of gusto just when you see the components, the design of the game. I mean, I'm looking at the stuff that you did for Stockpile and the design difference between what you did with Stockpile and the just what you've done in the Reckoners is is a huge difference. I mean, does it? I mean, did this really turn into a huge passion project for you? Because I mean, the number of components that you seem to have, everything from the the kind of the art direction that you've gone with, the color scheme, everything like that, seems to be, um, to be I suppose to to be corny epic. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would say yes. I mean, look, we we've uh, w- yes yes that we have gone probably down a rabbit hole uh very deep down a rabbit hole when it comes to you know just putting in passion and and resources into creating this game above and beyond probably what was economically viable to do so but you know like caution to the winds we really went for this game because like you said we love it it's passion and we want this game to be all it can be. And for us, that that meant, you know, a cohesiveness of art and components. Um, even if it meant paying extra for, for things that needed to, to be done just, just because they needed to be done, right? And it kind of all just came together. Like one thing after another as part of the creation process sort of went hand in hand with how the materials would, would take form. And uh, we've been uh, been very fortunate to work with a creative team um, like Ian O'Toole, Miguel Coimbra, and, and uh, Noah Adelman from uh, Game Trays that uh, have been able to, to kind of keep up with that vision and, and change our components and uh, different things as we've sort of explored different manifestations of them in, in, in tangible form. Did you get to speak to Brandon? Uh, directly, uh, I did not. Seth spoke with him briefly, um, but Brandon uh, is a guy whose time is quite precious, um, and I have worked very closely with his team yeah. and spoken with his team and uh, his teammates multiple multiple times, um, and even played the game with them, but. Brandon in a like a direct interaction. No, I have not had the uh, the the fortune yet. Are you still pinching yourself a bit that you've got the IP though? Do you kind of like go, okay, I'm just going over to update my Kickstarter all about the Reckoners again. Life is good. I mean, did you really think you'd be doing this kind of you know a couple of years ago when you were bringing kind of stockpile to the table? No, I no. This is it's it's a. Uh, a very humbling moment, I think, when you you know put a lot of time and effort into creating something, and you uh, you throw it up on Kickstarter, and you know as much as as much as you've done work, I feel like there's this mo- moment of vulnerability when you, when you go like, 
what if nobody buys this? <laughs> like, what, what happens? Uh, like, how do I, how do I live with myself and all the time that I just spent to do this? And, and how do I make it, you know, how do I think about it differently and make it work? And, uh, for us, um, I would say that, yeah, like we, we have, Hmm. How do I want to phrase this? I, I would just, I would just say that, look, we've, while we have those moments now um, of vulnerability and just sort of this like, oh God, like what if nobody funds it? Um, I, I think confidently, you know, we we have started turning the boat and saying like, we know what we're doing. Wait, do we? But like, no, we know what we're doing. And like, you know, kind of put, uh, put our best foot forward, throw the project up there and have built a crowd and community around it and um really really do our best to bring the product to life and for us i think i think it's it started to turn a, a corner um in many ways with with this project yet you know and and some others where i think we're evolving as designers we're evolving as um you know as people doing this in business um just just learning and taking those learnings with us from project to project and hopefully we'll continue to create you know more exciting and, and great games what was it like in the first couple of days of the campaign when you were used to kind of like a steady funding level or pledge level being reached for it to... Because it did well. I mean, it funded really quickly, didn't it? Yeah, I think the Reckoners funded in something like 24 hours, but the... Um, yeah, I mean, it's an exciting time. It's a rush those first few days. You know, it's uh, there's a lot to try to keep up with. And th- honestly, that's a good problem, right? Like, that's that's something that, that you want to have happen. Yeah. And, um, were you a little bit, you were know, you a little I, bit like, oh my goodness, this is this is actually doing something, or this is going to go, this is going to do yeah, something, I mean, can it? You definitely, like you said, you have to pinch yourself. I mean, it's a humbling moment. I think when you put when you put a project up there and and you watch, you know, the the reaction to it. People get excited about it. I mean, even just in the preliminary, you know, press releases that we were able to coordinate with Brandon's team, seeing you know the buzz kind of come together is is validating. And and as the game took shape and was played with other people receiving all the positive feedback along the way, especially from, you know, more mainstream reviewers and, um, and playtesters and the like, um, it, it helps, you know, give confidence that, that the game will, will be well received and, uh, people will like it. So it's, it's just an awesome, it's an awesome experience all around. Was it easier for you to get kind of people to look at the game based on the IP than you'd found with like the previous the previous games you'd produced even with the the kind of the good vibes that surrounded stockpile did you find that just that just by saying we're going to be we're making the reckoners game that maybe opened a lot more doors or you had a lot more general interest in people getting their eyes on a review copy of the game for instance yeah it's a conversation starter for sure i mean you know one of the the if you were to just take the two side by side and go you know would you like to play the you know like would you like to play the reckoners based on the books by brandon sanderson right people who know the books would be like oh wow i didn't know there was a game like i would i love those books let's play it right or that was it's just easier versus 
you know, would you guys like to play a game about insider trading in the stock market? It's an economic game with, you know, uh, for two to five people with all kinds of cool information dynamics and some auction and bidding stuff. And people were like, uh, stock market, you know, like it's not exactly the easiest sell, but again, like it has a target market. If people like that kind of thing, then, then they'll say, oh yeah, like I love stock market games or economic games. That sounds cool. Um, but I would just say the market, generally speaking for, uh, a book series that's sold over 2 million copies worldwide is going to be much bigger than, you know, somebody who, might happen to like stock games who also is a board gamer or like um it, it's just an easier you're, you're breaking down the barriers for somebody to say you know like let's play something else for people that are wondering what the reckoners is about um they're looking at the campaign that are wanting the kind of the quick i guess elevator pitch to use a business term because i've got full of business terms um what would you say to people it's about how would they play it what's the kind of the, the main mechanics behind it uh, I'd, I'd, I'd say that The Reckoners um, is a game similar to um, Pandemic and King of Tokyo. It is a cooperative game for one to six players that plays in about an hour and a half or maybe a little less. And in the game, you'll take on the roles of the main protagonist in, uh, in the book series by Brandon Sanderson. But if you're not familiar with the book series... Essentially, you are a group of operatives uh, known as the Reckoners, and your job is to take down a big bad villain known as Steelheart. Um, Steelheart has superpowers, um, and he and his fellow Epics, as they're called, um, are planning are, are basically eliminating the population in the city, and it is your job to stop them from doing that while finding his weakness and assassinating him. You'll use dice, uh, manipulate dice, build an engine in the game uh, of different actions that you're going to take and ultimately work together simultaneously in many uh, in many parts of the games to do that and i would leave it at that so if if you're interested in the reckoners you should check it out on our website or on kickstarter right now did have you ever put on a cape like steelheart have i ever put on a cape uh no <laughs> i have oh, not that's lies brett you know you have no you have no i've never put on I'd cape it. not even but not even once. now that now that you're asking for it i think i might have i to. think the thank you video has to be you nope. dressed like steelheart saying thank you everybody for backing i could totally you do could that totally do that and you could get i don't know if you have long flowing hair no I mean, you know, get. I could totally do you that. You could totally do that. You have <laughs> to totally do that, and you have to kind of like get two um, of those glowing ball LED balls that you get, and put them in each of your hands, and just stand there and go, "Thank you for backing," and then that's all <laughs> yes. you have to say. And then <laughs> get it. get Seth standing at the side with like a wind machine or a fan, or just with a piece of paper wafting it back and forth, so you get the wind growing through going through your hair. Your rewards may or may not have been destroyed during the exactly, making of this video. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I've taken your pledge money because, after all, I am bad. <laughs> just cool. Exactly. Ta-da! That's and it. Just fly, cut, cut scene. scene. <laughs> fly off. <laughs> yeah, fly say, off, Come on, too. guys. First game was about insider trading. Do you think we're going to do the honest thing here? That's right. 
<laughs> There'd be some really crappy CGI. <laughs> just, just have you like on a green screen because you can do that. You can actually get apps on the iPhone, <laughs> so you could be lying on top of like a bed or something with your arms stretched out with your glowing light bulb hands. <laughs> it just fly off. <clears throat> so there you go. You heard it here first. Well, now, the thank now, you video. That's right. New inspiration. There you go. All of our poor backers are now going to have to watch this. I think that would be absolutely fantastic thing to happen. Because um, we are kind of like in the, I guess, um, if it was a comic, you could say we're in the kind of the last couple of panels of the story before you kind of, um, before the campaign finishes. Um, I mean, with, I know you said at the beginning, this is a part-time business for you. And I guess one of the one of the things that people have to understand is that when when you're going to be taking this 250 or I'm going to say 268,000 I reckon you'll get 278 or something like that at the end potentially even 300. Um but that's all going to go into the games. I think it's a common misconception that somebody that gets a six-figure Kickstarter campaign is all of a sudden <laughs> You know, going like this, dollar, dollar bill, dollar bill, dollar bill, kind of like <laughs> going up to yeah, go they, to Starbucks they, and going, they, "I'll have the large cappuccino, thank yeah, you." Right? They they do that, and then they uh, and then they really quickly collect all the money that they just did that to, and then go and pay everybody else. Exactly. That's it. I think you know, it's like life, life in the role of a games designer. Get your get your game funded. Spend three weeks panic stations waiting until you get the email from Kickstarter to say they've actually given you the money or go around sending emails to people to say I noticed you dropped your pledge you kind of thing, having to deal with that um, and then getting the money and then instantly writing a cheque to the manufacturer <laughs> to, Yeah, to, I mean to, there's, to there's, there's, a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, you know, contributors in in this project, right? Yeah. You know, it's that that top line goes to a lot of places. Exactly. And, uh, the last place it lands is us, and for it's 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 much smaller when it lands there. Absolutely. So. No, I'm aware of that. It's like getting paid on mm-hmm. Kickstarter is just like kind of getting paid on payday, because then three days later all your bills come out, <laughs> and then you really yeah, you mean, realize what you've got to live off of. You know, that kind of right? Thing. Yeah, you put it into you know, and, and if you take it and extrapolate it over the amount of hours that have gone into the design and you know the the play testing and then the the making the Kickstarter and managing the Kickstarter, you, you look at it and you just kind of laugh because you know you it's 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 like pennies or dollar like small dollars per hour that you made yeah. at the end of it, and you know, yes, there's a potential that the game has a life cycle of several years and is a hit and can 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 well recoup the amounts that that you've you know kind of put into fixed cost however uh there's it's a hits business right there's there's the risk that you sell your first print run or you maybe don't even sell out of your first print run and and that's all there will be so uh then you're stuck right do it all over again did you feel um, pushed to create lots more stretch goals for the game, or had you already planned that? Had you already planned that out? I mean, was there an inkling behind you that thought this is an IP? It's a well-known IP. We where there's an estimation behind what you thought the stretch goals were potentially going to be. Uh, I would say 
our finish right now is is pretty in line with where where we actually expected. Um, but that said, like I, there is, I think there's something to be said for like how you manage up and manage down to what your expectations are, as a result of you know planning for stretch goals and things like that. And you know for us when we are contemplating our stretch goals, you know the stretch goals are a factor of three things, right? Like what do your backers want? Mm-hmm. What's what's feasible like from a manufacturing perspective and like a design perspective inside of the game and and finally like what do we want to make you know like what's what's timely and appropriate to create as a part of this game versus as part of an expansion and like what's our longer term vision for this product and and those all need to kind of come together to enable different stretch goals so for this game in particular, you know, we have the ability to potentially include, we'll call it like small expansions or something like that if this game really went nuts, right? And and just kind of bake it into this one. However, you know, in evaluating the feasibility of doing that, um, you know, it comes with big cost. Uh, it comes with, you know, more design time uh, and, and some other factors in there that could delay ultimately the delivery of this game. And when we're doing that for a small scale or small successes, it doesn't make as much sense as like if this game were doing over half a million, you know, maybe we'd be in a different place where we'd be talking about, you know, how do we how do we supply those many expansions to keep people, you know, more content with playing the game while we design some of these more full blown expansions that we're thinking about doing. Mm-hmm. So there's there's all kinds of different considerations that come there. But, you know, to to your point, I think you you have to sort of uh, gauge what interest levels you've got and how many email signups have you got? What are people saying about it? You know, how, how are all the different stars aligning, um, with this project, whether it's reviewers or whether that's other, you know, third party support that you have, like what are the resources at your disposal? How are you going to, you know, tap into them and ultimately what's going to be your, your contribution from them? And do you have your next game kind of lined up or the cogs, already kind of whirring away between you and Seth about what you're going to be bringing to market next? Always, always, always. So uh, there's, you know, the running joke is that Seth and I, like, are always working on some sort of bad game. And uh, it's it's true, you know, you, but that's part of, I think, what happened, like, part of our creation process. Like, we will destroy really, really bad games, but we'll get rid of them quickly. And from them will be inspired by something or some experience that leads to a better game and then eventually leads to a great game. And I think um, we already have that next great game uh, design um, in the wheelhouse, um, but we're still working on it. Uh, if you have, if you know, any of your listeners are stateside and they happen to be going to, there's a convention called Unpub. That's usually where a lot of people get to play our terrible ideas, but we'll be playing it there. Um, so to tell you more details about it, besides just a pronoun, um, this game is um, inspired by Zulkin terraforming Mars and a, a little bit of like a Puerto Rico. Um, in it, uh, you... The, the main mechanic in it is this worker placement idea uh-huh. um, where you are having to synchronize um, your workers across a variety of different choices. 
Um, so think Zulkin, right? Where you have these different wheels yeah. and you have to place your workers in different places. And it's all about the timing of when you can, you know, kind of put them on and then keep them on and then take them off. Right. And that, that simple choice is very interesting in that game. And if you were to add that to a more engine building style of, um, a terraforming Mars, then you would arrive close to where our game is. However, we don't want this game to last three hours um, or to destroy everyone's brain. Instead, we want it to be interesting and more approachable, um, played in 90 minutes or less. And so for that reason, um, we've simplified it quite a bit and um, corrected, or not corrected, but streamlined some of the things um, within those games. So you'll see more of an action selection type of um, mechanism here, um, more akin to like a Puerto Rico. So your choices um, and different, you know, engines that you choose to build can take you far and wide, but, you know, the, the core guts of what you're doing are much narrower. And I think that's where it gets interesting. So um, I don't want to spoil too much no. more about it because it can still change. But hopefully that makes sense. Um, that's that's our next game we're working that's on. That's big mechanics. Yeah, that is big mechanics. And it's different from any yeah, of the other three that we've talked about. So this is more of our first stab at a. Um, I don't even know that I would call it a traditional Euro because of what's in here, but it, it is more Euro in um, more Euro inspired and, and what people would call more strategy based than than perhaps some of our other games have been. Okay. Okay. If people have listened tonight and they've listened to that and they've listened to the stuff you've done with the Reckoners and Stockpile and Crossdock and everything like that. Where can we find you on the interweb nets, sir? You can find us at nabugames.com or follow us on social media at nabugames. And if you're listening tonight, you still have, uh, or today, or whatever time it is where you are and when you're listening, uh, if you are listening in about the next 24 hours from when this comes out, The Reckoners will still be available on Kickstarter, and you can help support us um, and unlock some more stretch goals for us. So um, please check us out. And if you do happen to miss The Reckoners, um, the pledge manager will be open soon, so we hope you'll at least take a look at that. We have more content coming for the game soon, including some more expansions for it that uh, we'll be designing along with this new project. That's cool. So. Where'd you get the name from? Nabu yeah. comes from beautiful All right. um, in Hebrew. Ah, so okay. uh, it happens to be a combination of Seth and I's backgrounds as well. I'm Jewish, and he is... Uh, Mormon and in the LDS faith, Nauvoo is a, a basically a religious pilgrimage site um, in Illinois, and we happen to grow up in Illinois. Oh, so man. there's kind of this funny set of factors, and um, we just kind of like the game, the name, cool. so, Nauvoo Games. Cool. Excellent, excellent. Um, thank you very, very much for coming on. Hey, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having okay. me. Um, Hopefully, I wasn't too boring for you and your guests, but uh, I I'm really grateful for uh, you know for the chance. It's been good fun. If you want to keep an eye on what we are up to, then please 
go to your internet browser of choice and search for We're Not Wizards. You can find us on Twitter at We're Not Wizards. You can find us on Facebook at We're Not Wizards. You can find us on Instagram at We're Not Wizards. You can even find us on YouTube because our lovely podcast host Podbean automatically put all our episodes onto YouTube automatically. I don't know how it works. It's magic. Well, it's not magic because we're not wizards, but there you go. Um, You can catch us on the usual kind of podcast channels, which is things like Stitcher and Spreaker and uh, Podknife and Acast and Player FM and all these wonderful, fantastic places. You can also catch us on Spotify. So if you're fancying listening to us through Alexa and all these other places, then just say, Oi, Alexa, put on We're Not Wizards. And it should do that, which is quite cool. Um, But you can also catch us through Apple Podcasts as well. And if you have enjoyed what you've listened to tonight, please consider leaving us a subscription, which is very much appreciated. If you like us even more than that, then please consider dropping us a rating or a review. And as we always say, um, don't give us 10, because it makes us big-headed. And don't give us a 1, because it makes us cry. But give us a 5 because it's in the middle, and it's average. And we're just a little bit average. But the person who's not been average is um, the rather successful business-headed gentleman that is Brett Sobel. So thank you very, very much for coming on again, Brett. Thank you, Richard. Best of luck with the remaining hours of the campaign and we will make sure that the links and all the social media are put in our show notes so that we have notes to show there are only two more things to do and the first thing is to remember that we are many things but we're not wizards are we wizards Brett? No No of course we're not, we're a task force that's about to take down a super, a team of epic people who are threatening to potentially destroy the world. So we're definitely not wizards. And the other thing is to say goodbye. So it's a goodbye from Brett. Say goodbye, Brett. Goodbye, guys. Thank you very much for having me. (laughs) It's been a pleasure. And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe. Roll sixes. Um, You have got, hopefully, about 24 hours left by the time this goes out to go out and check out Nauvoo's games, The Reckoners, if you're into any of the book series, it definitely looks like it's worthwhile checking out. Um, but until the next time, goodbye. <laughs>